This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is time for the Final Four. That's right. We hope you are headed to Tampa. We will be there. I can't wait. We have four teams headed to Tampa for the Women's Final Four. Oregon, Baylor, Notre Dame, and UConn. Just in case you don't know where you are, you are listening to Around the Rim, which is our ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we're headed to Tampa. A lot going on that you need to know about. I guess, Tarika, first, can you tell fans where they can join us for our live shows this week? I am so excited. We both are. We are going to be in Tourneytown at the Tampa Convention Center on Saturday, April 6th from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. You will be able to find Around the Rim live. We will be at the Beyond the Baseline um, so please come join us. We will have some fun. We'll have some great guests. We'll have some giveaways. Um, it's going to be a great time and you don't want to miss it. And so what time is that on Saturday? It is at 1 o'clock p.m. to 2.30 p.m. So come have a seat. Come listen. Come join. Be a part of the show. 1 to 2.30. We expect to have some big time guests there. We'll be announcing this week. Can they join our podcast on Thursday as well? Um, they will be able to listen to our podcast on Thursday, but unfortunately it's not open to the public. It was not our doing. We really couldn't help it. We tried, but, um, that's okay. That's just going to get you guys revved up and warmed up for Saturday. Okay. Well, Thursday we will be doing a podcast, um, around the women's basketball hall of fame awards. So definitely stay tuned for that. But Tariq and I will be in Tampa and I always tell Tariq when we travel, Oh, when I travel, how people are always like, we love around the rim. And I love hearing that. So please, if you see Tarika, shower her with the praise because she's actually the brains behind all of this and makes it all happen and puts up with me. So um, oh, if you Lord. see her, give her a little shout out. She'll be out here acting cute and bougie. All right. So for our show today, we have an amazing, amazing show. And so I'm not going to talk much in this intro because I'm going to let all the experts do the talking. Um, we are starting out in our first quarter with Coach Andy Landers. The Hall of Famer is going to join us to talk about what he would do to slow down Oregon's offense. If you did not see their Elite Eight win over Mississippi State, big-time shots by Sabrina Ionescu and company, arguably the hardest offense um, to shut down in this Final Four, though Notre Dame does rival that quite a bit. So he's going to talk to us about that. And then also as a coach, how you prepare. In the second quarter, we are going to have Debbie Antonelli, who will tell us her thoughts on what she saw with Notre Dame because she just came from Chicago and is now in Tampa. And what she thinks the Fighting Irish will do in the Final Four and what she saw from them um, in their regional final and semifinals. And then in the third quarter, we have Rebecca Lobo, who does not know, but we're going to surprise her with Holly Rowe. So that'll be two guests in one third quarter, which will be amazing. We will talk about Connecticut, um, and we will also talk a little bit about Baylor, but maybe get some interesting Kim Mulkey tidbits from from uh, Holly Rose. You'll have to stay tuned to get that. And then last but not least, because you have a better finisher than Maria Taylor, who is in Tampa already, who is going to give us her thoughts on what she's looking forward to most, but also what it's like behind the scenes at the Final Four for our studio crew. So it's getting ready to be an amazing show. You're going to love it. Get your popcorn, sit back, relax, and take a listen. First quarter. All right, basketball fans. Well, I have to tell you a little bit of a secret. I have to reveal this. Um, 
when you listen to me on a broadcast and I say something that sounds like it might make sense, I'm probably texting with our next guest and he's telling me what to say <laughs> while he's in studio. Please join me in welcoming the coach, Andy Landers, to Around the Rim. Welcome, coach. Oh, thank you, LaChana. It is such an honor to have you on our show because I listen to you in studio and I learn from your wisdom and whatever you say at halftime is exactly what I say in the second half. So keep uh <laughs> keep giving me all of the nuggets and all the strategy. And um we're going to rely on your coaching experience, your vast coaching experience over um oh god, how long did you coach coach? 40 years? Yep. Wow, which is a lot of expertise. So we're going to rely on that um as we talk a little bit about the final four coming up in Tampa. Will you be work where you will be working with your outstanding studio crew? But to get us started, there's one team I want to talk about in particular. Tarika's gonna play a little sound and then we'll get into some strategy. Sabrina, what is it about this stage that makes you made for this moment? I don't like losing. So that's all it is. My teammates came ready to play, our coaches came ready to play. I think we played really well today. You are headed to your first final four. How does that sound? I don't even know how to feel. I knew this I knew this feeling was special, but I didn't think it'd be like this. All right, go hug your dad. Thank you. Well, if you don't know who that was, people, <laughs> that is the voice of Sabrina Ionescu and her team, the Oregon Ducks, um, with head coach Kelly Graves, are headed to their first Final Four. Um, and so a very important time for their program, but – Coach, you are a defensive guy, and you gave teams fits for many, many years with how you game plan and your scouting. And this has been a little bit of a problem for teams coming up for a defensive plan for Oregon. It proved to be too much for Mississippi State, which hangs their hat on the defensive end on uh, Sunday. Coach, how do you begin to prepare defensively for this pick-and-roll, four-out-one-in, this rescreen and screen offense yeah. of Kelly Graves. How do you begin to prepare for that? Well, I, I think the first thing you have to wrap your head around, LaChina, is something that I do not recall in all my years of coaching. You, you have to understand that you're going uh, against a team who has four players that shoot the ball over 40% from the floor from the three-point line. And when you when you when you look at that and you understand that on the average they hit ten threes a game, mm-hmm. to me that's where it starts and and game planning and preparing to attempt to defend them. When you have players four, your your defense is stretched on the perimeter in in every direction because they're also going to space you very well and balance the floor very well unless, and and I'll come back to this, they're going to go to the rescreening piece. Mm-hmm. And, and But typically, they're spaced around the perimeter. They have your defense stretched. And then you have the added burden of defending a post player who shoots at roughly 67% from the floor, and that post player is the one setting the screen more times than not for perhaps the best guard in college basketball 
to use. So you have all kinds of problems. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, to me, it comes to this. And I'll just leave a lot of the thought process out for the sake of time. You're not going to beat me from three. I'm going to make you beat me with two pointers. That's easier said than done, but that's going to be the plan. If I am Baylor, and I think Baylor is perfectly equipped to do what we're about to talk about. If I am Baylor and I have a six seven player, when it comes to the ball screen, and that's what they're going to do, and most of the time that ball screen is going to be set in the middle of the floor. I'm not going to hedge. That's the number one thing that I am not going to do. I'm not going to hedge with my post player. I'm going to play soft somewhere in the vicinity of a step below the the free throw line with my defensive post player. Go ahead and ball screen. You're going to do it anyway. If I hedge, I'm opening myself up to the roll. If you roll, I might be tempted to come in from the outside and help. If I'm effective in helping, you're going to throw the ball back to my man on the three-point line and shoot the three. I'm not going to have you do that. I'm going to hug the people on the three-point line. I'm going to play soft off of the post player. And then very important, I would like to get over the ball screen with the defender who is defending Inescu or the ball handler. If I can't get over the top, I will never go in under. We've already seen that. We know how that ends. Right. That that's going to be a step back three. So I'm 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 going to go over the top or chase that ball handler. And when I say chase, not literally. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Caboose as best I can that ball handler in such a way that they're not going to refuse the screen or dishonor the screen and come back on me. You think about this for a minute. If you hedge on one side and they refuse the screen and come back where they came from, your defender is totally the hedge defender is totally out of position. They can't hedge both sides. And Oregon is going to make you do that if you hedge. Now, so I'm chasing the ball handler or, or going over the top with her, forcing her to go in the direction that she starts in. And when she does that, my my post defender is soft under the free throw line. She's going to split the difference between the ball handler who would like at that point to turn it and go downhill. Mm-hmm. She would like to go to the basket because the person defending her is out of position. But she has to think twice because there is six, seven. Yes, the role has begun with the screener. But that defender is going to be deep enough, stay deep enough on the two of them to kind of stunt cover, stunt cover, 
and play them both. Basically, she's zoning the lane until her defend until the ball handler's defender can relocate under the ball. If she brings it on, I'll stun her, make her shoot over six seven. And at that point, what has happened? The roller will have rolled deep enough. The ball handler will have dribbled deep enough that six seven can keep, for the most part, the pass from occurring from the ball handler to the roll man. Am I making sense to you? You are making perfect sense to me, Coach. And and to be honest, <laughs> and you know, I, I texted with you a little bit about this after Sunday's game because I I feel like I didn't stress enough. Let me say this. I didn't say what I would have done in pick in in those screening situations with Tierra McCowan. We acknowledge that she could not recover. That was obvious throughout the game because we had a six seven Sunday, and then we're going to have another six seven this Friday, right? So that's that presents yep. an issue. But I kept saying, "Wow, if she could just sit back in that paint a little bit, right, yep. and didn't have to come out and hedge," because I felt like Mississippi State's guards are good enough to get around screens. I mean, they're low to yep. the ground; they know how to fight screens, and so very quick, very it, yeah, very they quick. Have, they would very, have been in a position to recover at the worst. Yes, I, I agree with that. But the number of drives right to the rim because Tierra McCowan was just too far. She was all the way. At the three-point line, sometimes, you know, even at the at the high post. But like you said, if she would have been in that mid-post area, she could have recovered on a lot of those drives. I don't even think she was effective when she did get out on a shot or had to extend. And they use Ruthie Heber in a lot of those pick-and-rolls. So she's yep. not going to be a pick-and-pop where Tierra exactly. has to be there or Kalani has to be there to actually get a handout force Heber to hit that that high post jumper if if she chooses I would give her that rather than you know some of the looks they got easily streaming to the basket but hey I'm not I'm I'm not a coach I definitely don't have your mind when it comes to game planning (laughs) but I I do wish that I had I had mentioned that because I think that's what hurt them in their first lineup coach I, I wanted to ask you which I think you broke that down perfectly so thank you for that but I also want to ask you about a coach's mentality coming into this I mean you coached in what, two national runner-up games, five Final Fours, is that right, over the course of your career? Um, We have a variety from a first-time coach like Kelly Graves. I don't know if you can remember your first time in Final Four. Um, But then we've got some on the more experienced side. Tell me what you're doing this week right now leading up to the preparation for the Final Four with your team. Well, I think first and foremost, the thing I always wanted, particularly after the first one, and, and there is a difference, uh, the old, all the cliches that relate to experience are true. You know, it, it's your best teacher. Uh, after the first one, during this week, I wanted to make sure that we were rested. Physically, nothing was, was real demanding. Mentally, you know, we, we, we we tested them mentally every day as to what whether it was things we wanted to do or things we have always done and wanted to stay fresh on. Uh, but I, I think the big challenge, and, and man, was there a big difference between the first Final Four, which I think was probably the NCAA's third Final Four ever in 1983, to the last one that we played in in 99. 
uh, and, and the big difference wasn't the preparation. It, it, it wasn't uh, the competition. The biggest difference and the biggest thing a coach has to safeguard against now is the noise. Because in 83, you'll get a kick out of this. In 83, they took the four coaches into a room, uh, not a big room, but a fairly good-sized room. They set us in the four corners of the room and said, just sit still. And if any of the media want to talk to you, they'll come around and talk to you. That was the press conference. Then <laughs> that was it, you know, wow. for basically for the, for the entire event. And you, you fast forward to 99 or today. Those those type things are constant. They start in the morning at ten thirty. We'll meet with players uh, and, and coaches just in a relaxed setting, informal setting. They'll meet with TV, uh, uh, you know, for much of the day, and, and and radio. And then there'll be practices, and after every practice, there's a press conference. Yeah. So there's constant demands. And you have to prepare. Some people say, you know, and, and I and I believe this. You want to keep it as much as you can, like any road trip. Mm-hmm. But to say, hey, we're going to treat it the same, is a huge mistake. Yeah, it yeah. it isn't it isn't the same. And when your players get there, they're going to see that, they're going to feel that, and they're going to be uncomfortable. So you have to prepare them. You have to talk them through what the demands are going to be and and what the structure is going to be. Because on a typical road trip, I control the structure. I drove the structure. It was what I wanted it to be as a head coach. In this event, the NCAA drives the structure. It is what they want it to be. You will be where they want you to be to meet with all of these people and spend all of this time. So, you know, I think handling the noise is the biggest part. And when I say noise, all the things surrounding the demands that are made on your players and your team. And then you have this on top of that. Each of these players, each of these teams have outstanding players. And aside from what the Final Four and the NCAA demands, there will be All-American teams named. There will be National Players of the Year named. And if you have those people on your team, you're going to have to make a decision as a coach. How far am I going to go with this? Because it isn't required. But the WBCA, the convention, the people who sponsor the All-American team, the National Player of the Year, they want those players present. Mm-hmm. And their their schedule doesn't align with the practice schedules. Yeah. In 96, Saudi Aroundtree was National Player of the Year. She wasn't at half of our practice. Wow. That was a mistake. I'd never had that happen before. I'd had a national player of the year before, but not at the final four. And if I had that to do again, she would have been with her team. 
So wow. there's there's just a lot of things that have to be managed uh, that people don't see that are that are really important if you're going to keep your team together and keep it focused. Yeah. Wow. Great, great insight from you, Coach. I have to let you go, but my last question, um, as Tarika is pushing me, we got Deb and Tonelli coming up, and you know she's going to want to talk about offense, so we had to get defense in first. Um, one question for you. If there is one player that you could you think out of these four teams that is going to be the brightest star this weekend, who is it going to be? Who's going to show up and have the biggest impact? One player. Come on. I know it's oh, hard. My, I know, know it's hard. I- you know, let me. I'm going I'm to throw this at you, and I know we're, we're cramped for time, so I want to go quick. With Baylor, they continue to surprise me. They have players who step up in the moment. I thought Didi was was tremendous yes. in the last game. Uh, I've never seen her do that before. I think anybody on Baylor could step up and be huge. Uh, I, I, obviously, Aneski could step up and be huge. Yes. Uh, yeah, you have you have Samuelson. You you have I think three players on Connecticut's team that could step up and be huge. But if I was pressed, I'm going to go with the one that blew the top off last year, a Goomba Wale. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> we already know what she can do, right? Absolutely. I know. I, I cannot wait, Coach. I mean, I can't. I cannot wait to get to Tampa. And just before we let you go, thank you. We had Maria on, and you know we'll have her back on. But thank you guys for just making it fun, making it informational. I mean, you guys have a great time, but we also – I'll tell you this. For a, a leak bracket, I've never seen a great first show on a leak bracket on early – early production in my entire life now. It hasn't had to be done a lot, but I didn't know what to expect in that 5 o'clock hour when you guys had to come on early. But when I say you were buttoned up, you were buttoned up. And that was not easy to do on on such short notice. So for all that you guys do for us, thank you so much. We're so glad that you're still involved in the game. And do this forever if if you care. I know you got cows and a farm and all that to tend to, but we would love to have you forever, okay? Lachana, right back at you. I, I love what you do. I always enjoy your perspective and, and am so appreciative personally for what you do for women's basketball. Thank you. Oh, well, following your lead, Coach. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll see you in Tampa. Short Sounds sleeves. Great. Short sleeves. <laughs> All right. Second quarter, inside the huddle. We're here with head coach Muffet McGraw. Coach, you're, this group is taking you guys back to the final four. How did they do that? I, I didn't think it was going to happen at halftime. Uh, we were playing as bad as we could play. Couldn't make a shot. And to see what they did in the second half. That's okay. Jackie Young had 19 points in the second half. How did she jumpstart your team? Well, when Enrique got the third foul, we, we went to Jackie, and she delivered almost every single time. Set a little bit of a ball screen in the middle of the floor, and she was able to just get, get things going like she can. Your starters have now gone over 10,000 points in their career. What's it like to coach this group of five that start for you? Well, it's amazing with the points, but it's more amazing the assists. I think they're so willing to share the ball, and uh, I just, I'm so proud of what they did. It was tough tough to get back there. Uh, we, we certainly made it tougher than we had to, but 
credit Stanford. Their defense was amazing today. They're going to face UConn again in the Final Four. What do you want this group to learn from the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight to move over to Tampa? Yeah, I mean, we got to be ready and focused every every single minute. We've seen everything and we've prepared for everything, but uh, there's certainly a tough matchup for us. Thank you. Congratulations. That is the voice of our Courtney Lyle postgame with Notre Dame head coach Muffet McGraw after the Fighting Irish took down the Stanford Cardinal 84 to 68. And what started out as a very, um, I'll say ugly game in the first quarter as it was 13 to 11. Stanford lead to start, but the Fighting Irish went on to win it. It did have a lot to do with Jackie Young. I am welcoming in right now um, the brilliant mind and always my role model and my goals when it comes to being a basketball analyst, the one and only Debbie Antonelli. Welcome, Debbie. LaChina, you can aspire much higher, but thank you very much. That's a very nice compliment. Oh, whatever. If I get to you before I die, if I can break down the game like you before I die, which gives me between now and 99 and I need every year, then I'll be, I'll be really happy. <laughs> um, I know that you and Beth Moens called that game. What did you see from Notre Dame that has you encouraged about what they could do against UConn on Friday? Um, but, uh, the Fighting Irish has, have hit a couple bumps, not only in the regular season of ACC, but also, um, obviously, against Stanford. And this is a team that adding an All-American this year after winning last season, we thought would cruise to the Final Four. But what have you seen from them? Well, China. first of all, let me say this. I could not be more thrilled with the offensive firepower that we are going to see in the women's <laughs> Final Four. There is not going to be conversation about defense. If you listen to me, I said Notre Dame doesn't play very good defense. We all know that. Yep. Okay. That's not a big deal because they put pressure on you from five positions to score, and it is a lot to defend. So for me, there was never that moment of worry like, oh, are they ever going to get it going offensively? Uh, I, I, I feel like they are going to be the favorite over UConn. They are going to have to uh, be able to keep their pace because when they play fast, I think they're unguardable. They're going to have enough opportunity to score. And on the other side, UConn's going to get plenty of open shots against Notre Dame because they move the ball better than anybody in college basketball. So while you've got the greatest scoring starting five that we have ever seen in the history of college basketball, men or women, wow, no one has scored what Notre Dame has done in their starting five against UConn, who I think is the best offense in terms of the way they pass, where their shots come from, and how they go about conducting their business on that end. So that is going to be so exciting. And if anybody builds this as a defensive effort or thinks that neither one of these teams plays very good defense, forget about it. We don't care about that. We care about how exciting our game is going to be because of the way both of these teams can score. <laughs> I'm with you, Debbie. Trust me, after leaving Oregon, I, I I have a brand new respect for I'll tell you this. I went back and changed, and I said this on air. I said, you know, I had Baylor winning the national championship because of the way they play defense. And I am usually a defense and rebound girl. But I actually changed my national champion, which I don't care. It's out there. But I chose Notre Dame to win the national championship. I changed that based on what I saw on Sunday, what an offense can do over a good defense, especially like Oregon and, and what the points they put up. I'm just curious your thoughts on them, Debbie, and where you feel like they are maybe – revolutionizing offenses on the women's college level the way that they play the game? I think uh, I've been talking about this for decades, 
right? It seems like it. You know, ticket selling players, shoot till your arm falls off, what we put on this earth to do, score. Uh, Oregon is exactly the kind of team that I love watching for as a fan and as a student of the game because I can learn something. The way the way they play, Sabrina Ionescu can make every play. They're a very good screening team. They have great space, and they are fun to watch because she just picks people apart. Now, if you can get some very athletic defense on her, which she is going to see some size and length against Baylor, I still think and have always said a better offense beats a good defense any day, and uh, I'm going to stick with that. And, and I'm with you. If you're going to ask me who I'm going to pick to win the national championship, I'm picking Notre Dame as well for that very reason because they can flat-out score. They're averaging almost 95 points in their last 13 games. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I didn't expect them to get to 84. I mean, I <laughs> at the end of that game, I looked up. I mean, the way they started, and I was like, wow, did they really put 84 points up on Stanford? And Tar Vanderveer, as you very well know, is one of the best game planners in our game in terms of how she prepares for other teams' offenses. Debbie, I, I want to go back to the Notre Dame-Connecticut piece for just a moment, only because there's going to be a lot of chatter about – you know, I know Gino's made some comments about men coaching and Muffet has made some comments. I don't know. I haven't even read into that whole thing. But these two teams just go after each other. What do you maybe enjoy about the rivalry between them? And just Muffet and Gino, you spent a lot of time with both coaches, how they have kept this level of consistency in their programs as far as the yeah. success. Well, I have the uh, supreme amount of respect for both as coaches and as people. I think they're both fantastic. And I, and you can just look at the byproduct of the people that they put out, not just in the WNBA, but people they put out in life, okay? Mm-hmm. These are two of the top people in our game, and we're really lucky that we have them and that they have this great rivalry. But I really hope that the conversation on the national level for those people that pop in our game at the Final Four is not about the controversy he said, she said. I hope it's about these players and how good they are, how highly skilled they are. And and that's what we should be directing our attention on, and that's where I'm going to spend my time. I mean, I I, I respect both of them immensely. I, I don't really care about getting involved in any of that other stuff. You know, to me it's all about hoops, and I'm not sure we've had four better offensive teams in the history of the Final Four than what we're going to see right now. And what you're saying is exactly what Coach Landers uh, said to us earlier in the show because he was talking about how when you get to the Final Four, you know, how do you prepare your team for that moment? And he said the first thing you have to do is block out all the stuff. And he was telling us that, you know, with Saudi Roundtree, when she was named National Player of the Year, for the awards, I guess, recognition, she had to miss practice time at the Final Four. And so if you get caught up in the hoopla and the press and everything else that goes on in the social media and the stories, you miss not only all the great play, but if you're one of these teams in the NCAA tournament, you got to be focused and you got to be dialed in. So that's good advice coming from Debbie Antonelli. Yeah. Now, Debbie. China, um, if you have your head down during this Final Four for a second, you're going to miss something great. So all those people, they're going to have their head down in their phone and their computer they're going to have they're not paying attention you better keep your eyes up because something's happening <laughs> yes and something great happened in columbus last year we hope to see a repeat now you are involved in so many aspects of our game growing the game i've i've loved to see your sweet 16 to vegas has been getting a lot of attention as it should um i definitely was a late bandwagon joiner but i'm on it um but you do a lot for our game your kyle cancer fund board 
so many different things. Tell us about what you look forward most to doing at the Final Four um, outside of the court, like all of the other, all the ancillary stuff mm-hmm. that you're doing. Well, I, I love meeting the new people in our game that are or people that I haven't met. Maybe they're not new. Maybe I just haven't met them. But I really am interested in the young coaches. I'm interested in the young people in our game. Um, that's what I think uh, – we need to make sure that our game is being protected and preserved, right? So all these new people coming in, if there's anybody listening, please stop and introduce yourself to me and tell me where you go to, where you where you work and what you want to do. I, I want to meet as many people as I can. That's usually what I love the most is hanging out in the lobby, hanging out, just being around, laughing and joking and, and having a good time with all the people in the game because truly as much as we travel and as long as I've been in it, this is a celebration this weekend for me, and I enjoy being here and I know on Monday I'll be home and I'll go back to my normal life. Yeah. <laughs> but for now which you're going to live in a mom of three boys, which is not, you know, there's no days off. So it's not like it's a vacation, so uh, but I enjoy everything I do and I enjoy being here and I enjoy being around the people in our game. So you're already in Tampa. What's on your agenda this week? If, if people can join, if there are things that they can be a part of, what do you suggest either for coaches that'll be at convention or just regular fans what, what do you what do you suggest as the must participate events? And you can just name everything on your schedule if yeah. you want, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to run down my whole schedule because I have quite a few parties on here as well, Lachana. And uh, you know, uh, I like to step over the newspaper. You know, for people listening that don't know what that means, there was a time when the newspaper actually used to be delivered to your hotel door. Yeah, and in there the were morning. times when I would step over the newspaper on my way back in. The paper had already been delivered. I'd been out so late. That's You're when I could really late. run. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I just—I'll be hanging out. I'll be in the arena. I'll be at practices. I'll—I'll uh, I'll be, you know, around the Tampa Marriott area. I'll be in the workout room. I'll be down by the water. Um, I'll be going to parties. I'll be doing, um, you know, you're you're gracious enough to spend some of your time with me on the thirty under thirty program that. Yeah. I've helped the WBCA with, which is 30 people that they select that are under the age of 30. And so we have a program. I really enjoy that, um, doing that. And then I will tell you, um, full transparency, three of my college teammates are coming to hang out with me this weekend. So that should make it even more fun. That is going to be a ton of fun. Well, Debbie, um, I look forward to spending our time together in our session, but also just seeing you around. Now, back to basketball for our final point. What is going to be the separator? I know you said you could think Notre Dame's going to win the national championship, but what is going to be the separator for these teams, either in who advances um, to the to the championship game and then ultimately who wins it? Whoever has the ball last, LaChina. Whoever has the ball last wins on their offense. There it is. Because guess what? Shoot till your arm falls <laughs> off. Right, Debbie? Well, thank Shoot you. your arm falls off. That's right. Hashtag. Nice ready in the back of the arena. And and fans can can find you on Twitter at Debbie Antonelli, correct? That's right, LaChina. And uh, I'm going to be working on putting out something on the Sweet 16 to Vegas so everybody in, understands exactly what I'm talking about. And you also have an event coming up that we can support, right? And right there in oh, home, right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Can you talk no, about it? I didn't it? know if I was allowed to do that. I sure can. And actually, I will have uh, I have a stack of cards I'm going to have with me. If somebody will come to, up to me, I'll be glad to hand them one. I'm doing a special Olympic fundraiser May 18th at my town. And I'll just briefly tell you, I'm starting at noon on Saturday. And uh, I'm going to make 100 free throws at the top of every hour for 24 hours for Special Olympics. 
I need everyone's support. I'm on five nonprofit boards. I don't ask anybody for money. That's not my role on those boards. So everyone knows that, that knows me knows I have three boys. My middle son is a sophomore at Clemson. He has Down syndrome. He's in the Clemson Life Program. He's a full-time college student. And I am raising money for Special Olympics, and I've already raised $27,500, and I need to reach 100000 That's my goal. We can do it, Debbie. I'm joining in. I love what you're doing for the Special Olympics. So if you see Debbie at the Final Four or also yep. on her social media at Debbie Antonelli, I'm sure she'll be tweeting things. Get involved. It's for a great cause. I will. Cost. I will. If, some, if you just gave me a penny, it's $24. So everyone can help. It would be awesome. Thank you so much. We will get them involved. We'll get them going from our, our handle, too, Tarika. So thank you so much, Deb, for your time. And I look forward to seeing you in Tampa. If you have any time, you know, maybe you and I can sit by the water and have a drink. Cocktail napkin. Let's do it, LaChina. What do you think? We'll do it. All right. We got we will. it. Thanks, Debbie. Appreciate your time. All right, basketball fans, we hope you have enjoyed the first two quarters of our Final Four preview, but we are not even close to being done because after the break, we have not only Rebecca Lobo, but Holly Rowe and the Maria Taylor in our fourth quarter. So stick with us because you won't want to miss the content coming up. And, hey, don't forget that you can engage with Around the Rim on Twitter at Around the Rim Pod. You can email us at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we are also on Sirius XM Radio now, channel 84. You can find us on the ESPN app, your Apple Podcast app. Hit the subscribe button, rate us, leave us comments, questions on any of those platforms. You can also find me at LaChina Robinson on Twitter. And Tarika is at SheKnowsSports underscore. I am so excited about Tampa. Let's talk more about the Final Four right after this. Third quarter, scouting report. All right, basketball fans. Well, we are welcoming in, um, you already know, she's my sister. We share a common name. I'm LaChina. She's LaBecca. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming ESPN analyst Rebecca Lobo to the show. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much, LaChina. Well, you have been amazing um, in all of your coverage of the NCAA Women's Tournament, and uh, we are looking for that to continue in Tampa. The first conversation we're going to have are about the Yukon Huskies, and to get us kicked off, let's listen to a little sound. All right, Katie Lou Samuelson, 29 points for you today. What did you find inside yourself to keep your career going? Um, just that. I wanted to keep my career going. I lost my voice a little bit. Um, I had to step up. You know, they were really... They're really making it hard for us, so I had to do what I could. There was a want to with this team. You've described yourselves at times unbelievably as underdogs for UConn, but you have now gone to a 12th straight Final Four. How do you describe that feeling, Katie Lou? It's amazing just to be part of this program, just to wear this name on our chest every day. You know you're part of something special, and they've created something amazing here. And for us, we just want to be a part of that and keep it going as long as we can. Your seniors were big, but how about these young ones for you? How did they surprise you today? They've surprised me all tournament. They haven't been scared at all. You know, it's a big deal being here, and it's a big, it's a big um, moment for everyone. And for them to step up the way they have, it's been amazing. How about if we see you at the Final Four in Tampa? Yeah, I can't wait to be there. Thank you, Katie Lou. Thank you. Well, that is our Holly Rowe, the fantastic Holly Rowe with Katie Lou Samuelson after um, UConn's win to advance to the Final Four. They will take on Notre Dame on Friday. Oh, wait, I think we may have Holly Rowe on the line. Holly, is that you? 
Hello. <laughs> there Hello. she is. Hey. <laughs> Look, I told Rebecca that we were going to do you another time, but we wanted to bring you both on together. All right. So listening to that clip of, of Katie Lou, the first thing fans are thinking about is how UConn came into the tournament. Everyone's talking about the chip on their shoulder. What did you guys see from Connecticut um, that maybe was unexpected in this run to the Final Four by most people? Um, then how do you see the matchup against Notre Dame? Let's let's go ahead and just take this all the way to Friday. Well, Katie Lee said something to me that I thought was kind of surprising and interesting was that, um, you know, we've talked about them getting shocked and upset in the last two Final Fours. And when I asked her about that, I wondered if she was playing with fear or she and the people were playing with fear of failure, that they would be the class that didn't get it done or didn't get back to the Final Four for the first time in 11 years. And she said, no, we're not playing with fear. Everything crazy that has happened to us has already happened. We're the underdogs, and they are relishing an underdog role. And I think that's something new and new and unique. Rebecca, what did you yeah, see from I, Connecticut? I think that's that's a big thing to, to remember. This year has been different than a lot of recent years for this Connecticut team. Uh, in the regular season, there were a lot more close games. There were losses. And and the experience of that regular season, I think, really strengthened them and got them ready for the post-season, postseason to this point. This, this Connecticut team, we're not used to see them grinding out games in the tournament. They had to grind out a second-round game against Buffalo after getting a big lead and Buffalo makes a run. Connecticut had to grind it out in, against UCLA in a game where Katie Lou Samuelson wasn't playing well. And then they had to grind it out in some ways uh, again against Louisville. You know, Megan Walker has a huge first half keeping them uh, in front with her threes before, you know, Katie Lou really came alive. So this is a, a, a UConn team that's seasoned in a different way at the Final Four than the, the UConn teams we've seen over the course of the past few years. And, you know, it's kind of laughable, but, you know, the past two years, one of the criticisms when UConn's lost on last-second shots was, well, you know, they haven't been in these tight situations before, you know, they're not familiar with them. Well, they certainly are this year. Um, they they have been in close games. They've been in grinded out games. And um, and I think they're just they're in a different place this year coming into the final four than, than where we've seen them the past few years. That's a great point about the close games, because you're right. We come in every year saying that, especially when they're coming off the AAC and they've been blowing everyone out and they come in the tournament, you know, usually blow out their first couple teams. And then we're like, OK, what about the close games? But they have had to squeak some out. You mentioned Megan Walker and, and Holly. I know we don't have long with you, so I'll start with you on this. Um, we know that what we're going to pretty much get from Katie Lou Samuelson and Nafisa Collier but what about the rest of the team? You know, I mean, Gino's really only going six deep. But um, who do you think is going to be the most important factor um, from everyone else on the roster uh, against Notre Dame Friday? Well, I think it's the three young players. Um, Megan Walker, who's a sophomore but didn't even see the floor in the Final Four last year. She wasn't good enough to get on the floor for this team. She has improved dramatically in my mind. Uh, Kristen Williams was such a key factor against Notre Dame in that first meeting in December. Can she penetrate and be difficult to guard again? And then Olivia Nelson-Adota is coming off the bench, and she has improved dramatically, in my mind, in the last month of the season, just becoming more confident with themselves. And I asked Megan Walker about it, and she said, 
you know, last year you're questioning everything. You come into the Yukon and you don't, and you realize you don't know anything and you, you really lose some confidence because it's such a grind. And she's like, I'm just starting to get that confidence back of, I know what to do. I know where I'm supposed to be. And she's starting to make plays. You heard her say in the game after um, getting to the final four, she hit all those threes against Louisville. And she was like, I knew they were going to sag off me. So I knew the opportunity was going to be there. I had to hit those shots. And so that's a more mature, um, good approach from Megan Walker. And I just see her growing even in practice, you know, Chris Daly yelling at her and, good job, Megan, good job, Megan, and encouraging. And I just think she has advanced to what she's bringing to UConn right now. So I would say all three of those young players have to continue that. You have both seen the best of, of UConn-Notre Dame. I mean, we, we have, you know, and obviously UConn has dominated the latter half of the rivalry. But what is it that makes the that intensity and that – what makes this rivalry between UConn and, and Notre Dame? Because we've seen the old pictures of Gino and, and Muffet hanging out. I mean, they used to be friends, right? Is this just like an act they put on? Are they real tight behind the scenes? Or are these teams, can they really just not stand each other? Um, I'll well, go first, Rebecca, because then I've got to jump off if you don't, if that's okay. But um, yeah. uh, I think the the disdain is real. And the annoyance is real. I think, you know, there was an article published, um, I think, last week with Muffet McGraw talking about how competitive she is. And she called Gina Oriam a, a bully. Um, you know, those are fighting words where I come from. You don't, you don't call people names like that. You know, we saw those tempers flare in the game earlier this year where everybody I've talked to told me that Arike Gumbawali told Gino to blank the, blank the you-know-what up. So uh, I think the hatred and the anger and the irritation is real and I, I just can't wait because I think it's like the drama has been building all year for yet another rematch. Yes, thank you so much Holly. I know you've got to jump off. I just want to add to that that I remember earlier this season Marina Mabry telling me that you know after that game she took a lot of criticism and she said you know so I backed off. I wasn't myself. You know I didn't have my, my normal attitude but she said there was a point in the season where the team came to her and say, listen, we basically need you to be that person again. Like, you are our fire. You are intensity. So she'll be bringing it full tilt in the matchup as well. Holly, thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, we'll see you in Tampa. Get a little tan thank for you, me. Lady. I'll be there soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Rebecca, from your perspective, um, again, on this rivalry, is it, you know, is it real? Like, is it really a, a dislike between Gino and Muffet? I think it's the realest one we have. And, and Lachina, you and I have talked about this uh, on previous podcasts. Like, it's okay to have a little paprika stirred into the pot. And uh, in this in this rivalry has it. I do not think that players on the UConn and Notre Dame teams are texting each other before or after games. Um, I think what you see between Coach Oriama and Coach McGraw is um, is genuine. Uh, you know, I, I in terms of. Um, you know, they have a, a healthy, healthy respect for one another. I don't think they particularly like one another. Um, and, and I think it, it, it's very old school in that regard, and that makes it, uh, it, makes it great. You know, not only are there going to be great plays made on the court, they both play really high-level, exciting offense, so that's fun to watch. But all that extra stuff is, uh, is real, and it, and it intensifies the rivalry, and it makes it, more interesting and um and everything that it's become it's 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 part of the ingredient it's one of the ingredients that makes this the best rivalry in women's college basketball um since 
you know, UConn and Tennessee were playing. If you're just joining us, we are listening to the Hall of Famer, Rebecca Lobo, um, giving us insight on UConn-Notre Dame that will play this Friday in the Women's Final Four in Tampa. Um, just one key for each team, Rebecca, before we move on. I, w- I want to talk to you a little bit about Baylor before we get off, but one key for each Notre Dame and UConn, knowing these teams, what will they need to beat each other um, on Friday? Well, it's interesting to me because I think they're so similar in the way they play um, that a huge key in the game is going to be transition defense. You know, Notre Dame is probably the most potent uh, transition team in the country, but in their first matchup, UConn got the better of them. Um, Kristen Williams was leaking out and got a lot of her 28 points uh, in transition, just getting down the floor um, faster. Uh, you know, they neither coach loves the, their, the way their team defends um, and they both love their team's offense so in some ways you know what which player on on which team is going to step up and make the big time plays is it going to be Arike again I mean we've seen her do it over and over is it going to be Nafisa Collier um, who has done it consistently for Connecticut could it be Katie Lou Samuelson again after you know having some struggles um, in the Sweet 16 round she plays amazing in, in the Elite Eight game against Louisville I don't know but somebody is going to, there's going to be a player or two players who are going to step up and they're the ones who are going to make sure um, that their team wins. That, that's what it's going to be because these teams are so evenly matched in so many other ways. I am so ready for this game on Friday. I mean, I, I don't know if I could be more ready for a game, especially in the Final Four with UConn, Notre Dame. I mean, they're my favorite two teams to watch go head-to-head anyway, uh, but definitely going to be fun with so much on the line. Now, I want to move to talk a little bit about Baylor, but let's listen to a clip um, really quickly to get us started. Kim, this will be your fourth trip to the Final Four as the head coach at Baylor, but it is the first for your players. As you see the looks and the smiles on their faces, What does that mean to you? This is what it means. I get to let this big girl who has been butchered, so many people have been negative about her mobility. The damn girl is a great basketball player, and it's time she gets recognized for it. A damn basketball player, a heck of a game. Before you run away, Coach, I want to ask you, what is it about this group that made them able to achieve this goal? They pull for each other. They pull for each other. And it doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter who who the hero is that night. They genuinely care and have great team chemistry. Look at them. They're silly. They're loving it. And I'm the blessed coach who gets to coach them. Congratulations, Kim. All right. So that is Baylor head coach Kim Mulkey. She was referring to her big girl, who was Kalani Brown. They were hugging during that interview. And that's Kalani that you heard afterwards with our um, Allison Williams-Courtney Lyle. Allison Williams. Allison Williams. Uh, yes, there you go, Rebecca. Um, I, I haven't seen Baylor play in, in person. This is the only team of the four that I, I haven't really got a chance to see. Um, is their defense as good as advertised, in your opinion? And I guess, you know, Kim talked about the mobility of, of Kalani, and she's going to need some mobility of her big girls against Oregon if they're going to defend their offense. But what are your thoughts on the experience factor? Let's start there because some people are saying, okay, Notre Dame and UConn come in, they have all this experience. Oregon's never been there, and these particular players for Baylor haven't been there. Does that really make as big of a difference as people think? Well, first of all, 
who was talking about Kalani Brown's, Kalani Brown's mobility? I was listening to Kim Mulkey's interview right after the game. I was like, what are you talking about? What's the <laughs> I I know. Kalani Brown's mobility. I love this time of year when coaches, like, one person says something and then they, they like, latch onto it and make that a ra- rallying cry oh, for yeah. their team. Um, well, well, wait, but, wait, uh, wait. wait let, let me fi- help finish that thought. We see coaches do it. Cheryl Reeve definitely does it during oh, WNBA season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what Kim Bulky is referring to, and I mean, I don't, I don't know who would say this, but I will definitely say it now that in the matchup with Megan Gustafson, Gustafson is the more mobile post, period. So I don't know if that was what, you know, because of that matchup, if maybe people were having a conversation about those different post player strengths and weaknesses, but I personally think, Megan Gustafson is more mobile than Kalani Brown. But anyway, I'll well, let you go ahead. Well, on sure. it, it, it just cracks me up when, when coaches, um, you know, like it's okay if somebody states a fact. Like Megan, if, if Megan Gustafson is more mobile than uh, Kalani Brown, it's okay to say that. Kalani Brown's still a really good player. Like, yeah. okay. So, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, you were asking about experience. I think experience is hugely important at the Final Four. And this is why. Um, it's, so different from everything else that these players have experienced up to this point in terms of the um, the obligations they have off the court. You know, it's it's not a normal road trip where you're going, hanging out in your hotel, going to pregame meal, going to practice. Like, there's commitments um, nonstop throughout the course of the day, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're an All-American. And, and, and so I think the experience of being through that and understanding it is important. Now, none of those Baylor players have it, but Coach Mulkey does. So she knows how to manage things. And, and I've even had this conversation with Coach Landers at times uh, about when, when Saudi Roundtree, when he was here with that team, and all of the things that she had to do and how he would manage it differently, uh, you know, her obligations off the court if he could go back. So, mm-hmm. so that's part of it. Um, yeah. But this, I mean, Baylor's, uh, you know, back to the question about them defensively, they're really, really good. And uh, when we were covering the UConn in the Albany region, you were talking to uh, Gina Oriama about um, teams that play really good defense, and the first one he brought up was Baylor, uh, that they're one of the best defensive teams out there, mostly and simply because it's really hard to score inside on them. It's hard to get easy buckets in the paint because of those two bigs that they have, Lauren Cox being a really good shot blocker, um, and and you have to try to pull one, if not both, of those posts out of the lane, not only to make them defend on the perimeter, but to create space in the lane for other players to get in there. And um, and that's one thing that Oregon can probably do because who on the Baylor team is going to guard Satu Sabale? You know, which of those players is going to get on the perimeter and guard that 6-4 kid? That, to me, is going to be a key matchup in that game. Yeah, we had a long discussion with Coach Landers yesterday. He actually told us about the Saudi Roundtree story, but we also dissected what not to do with 6-7 against Oregon because we saw Mississippi <laughs> State on that hedge, and that was not working out well for them. Um, you know, my my thing about Baylor, and, and maybe I'm underestimating them on the offensive end, but I do think when you play a team like Oregon, and, and I'll credit Ruthie Hebert, like, On the other end of that, Oregon's going to have to deal with Baylor's bigs inside, right? And I thought Ruthie Hebert's defensive plays at the end of that Oregon game were just as big as the shots that were made, right? She swatted away two blocks, two shots right in the paint that were huge, including a block on Tierra McCowan. But I just don't know if Baylor has enough 
offense, right? Like to to stay with with Oregon. Now, if they're if they're slowing them down with their defense, okay, that's one thing. But that's really hard to do. And Baylor does have more length than Mississippi State. I thought their lack of size on the perimeter sometimes hurt them when it came to contesting shots. But oh boy, I I just it, you got to be able to put some points on the board. And not that Baylor is struggles to score points, but they score a lot in transition off of their defense. And if Oregon is taking care of the ball, I I just think that can be somewhat of a challenge. I I completely agree with you. Uh, but you need the Oregon team that played against Mississippi State offensively to show up. You know, yeah, the team that true. scored 80, 88 points. If you get the team that played against South Dakota State that scored sixty three and only went four of 20 from the three-point line, um, you know, that changes things a little bit. And and this is the thing, too. You know, Baylor attempted fewer threes than any team in women's college basketball this year. You know, they are old school. They are looking to score in the paint. Now, that's you're going to be a little bit more consistent and reliable when, when you're getting those closer shots, whereas, you know, Oregon, if they're on, watch out. But, you know, there's a higher percentage chance of them struggling from deep than there is from Baylor inside. But um, that's one of the fascinating things about it is it's such a contrast in styles, you know, like it's a old school San Antonio Spurs versus the new age uh, (laughs) Golden State Warriors. And, um, and, and, and that's, that's fascinating in itself and, and, and how it's going to play out. But I, but I agree with you. If you, if you have an, if the Oregon team that was there against Mississippi State, the Sabrina Ionescu, uh, you know, that was there against Mississippi State, uh, shooting the ball um, the way they did, shooting the ball the way she did, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a tall task. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I, I just you're, And you're absolutely right about South Dakota State because I left that game not feeling well about Oregon. I was like, you know, the three ball is important to them for a lot of reason. It gets them going. It's a mental thing. It gets the crowd into it. That's what they do. And so even though they beat South Dakota State, I didn't leave there feeling great. And, you know, we talked to Kelly Graves about it, and I was like, well, Kelly, do you instill confidence in them? Do you say you can make it? He said, you absolutely do not mention it. He said, the minute you mention it, is when they start to get in their heads. So he never said anything, even though they shot the ball terribly. I mean, they had some air balls at the end of that game, okay? So even though they shot the ball terribly, he never addressed it, and they ended up getting that mojo back, you know, for themselves. Now, Rebecca, other than the games themselves, before we let you go, what do you enjoy most about the Final Four? What do do you – I know you guys – I mean, we've talked to Andy and – Maria, just how great you guys are as a studio crew, and thank you for your work all season long entertaining us. But you guys have fun. Like, you're a good group of, of – their chemistry is, like, fantastic. But what do you enjoy most about this particular um, weekend? Just a couple things. One, I really like um, – we get to spend some time with the kids. You know, later on today we're going to be meeting with all the players and, uh, and the coaches – I like that part of it. I like to get to know the players a little bit better than we than we do um, because they all have such unique and often engaging personalities, and um, and it's just fun. You know, you're you're getting to ex- experience a moment in time for them that will be something they'll remember for the rest of their lives, and I really enjoy that part of it. And um, and the other part is just what you talked about. I you know, we have a really we have a great group of people who work on this project. And uh, and we get to spend time together. And, and even, you know, I'm listening to you calling games out in Portland, but when we're in Tampa, you and I are actually going to get to hang out Yay! and see each other. And, 
and spend time together. And, and like, that's a, that's a big part of it. You know, we, we travel so much throughout the course of the year um, and you're away from your family and away from your routine. And, and it's really, really important to get along with the people that you work with. And, um, and, and, and we're lucky to have that. And, uh, and, you know, how, if Holly Rowe is around, there's a party not too far away. So. I know, I know. You <laughs> That's know what? always good, too. We had this plan, like, to surprise. I don't know if, if I could even told Holly, but I was like, Holly, we're going to bring you in on the show to surprise Rebecca, like, after her clip finished playing. And the first thing you said is, is Holly coming on with me or another time? I was like, oh, shoot. I forgot they were together well, last night. Like, <laughs> our surprise well, is blown. <laughs> no, this is what it is, LaChina. When Tarika sent the rundown, she had Holly on it. So, oh, uh, so, no. No, Tarika. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. I never get to bust her chops. I'm glad you told me that because I'm now she's in trouble. I'm always the one in trouble. She ruined the surprise. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining the show. Awesome insight, and I can't wait till this weekend. I don't know if anything could be better than Columbus, but the fact that the sun is out in Tampa, I am already excited, and we have four great teams. So, And a great well, crew call well, it. LaChina, I absolutely love listening to the podcast all season long. And uh, you might edit this out, but I find it especially entertaining that there's your, the advertisement leading into it is usually for a male teston, testosterone enhancer. Oh, no! So, uh, <laughs> is it really? So, oh, no! <laughs> it, it, it often has been. So if it's, uh, I'm hoping, <laughs> in, in this case in particular, that, uh, that that's still who this podcast is presented by. Oh, my by. God! <laughs> I had no clue. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm going to be, like, going back. and I'm having nightmares already. Oh, God. That's Tarika's fault, too. Like, I'm making everything on Tarika since she's not here. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That is awesome. All right. Well, I will see you tonight. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. You have to have a closer. And it has to be amazing for people to stay around and listen to the whole podcast. So in our fourth quarter, we have with us one of the most dynamic, amazing, brilliant, smart, beautiful personalities, not only in sports broadcasting, but just in this world. She is a light. Join me in welcoming my friend Maria Taylor to the show. Welcome, Maria. Oh, thanks, LaChina. You're so sweet. You're a light. For the, let the world know that LaChina, when I was first starting out, I'm like doing radio for women's basketball at Georgia. You were the first person that was like, hey, girl, let me take you under my wing. Like, do you want to meet anyone? You hooked me up with someone at ESPNU so I could shadow the truck. Like, we've known each other for a long time. We have, girl. We have. But let me just be the first to say, and Tarika's going to be a part of this conversation, too, because we've both watched just your mm-hmm. Your stardom and how you have gone so big time in no time and very deserving of every opportunity you've gotten. So congratulations on that. But just what has this ride been like for you in terms of the growth of your career? How do you manage it all? And and what are you most excited about as far as what you're doing now and the way you're moving in the future? It's so funny because all I ever wanted to do um, was work on volleyball and women's basketball. So when I first got the call and ESCNU was saying, hey, we want to give you like a full slate of women's hoops. And at that point, I was already doing volleyball. I was like, this is it. Like, this is all I dreamed about because I remember seeing the analysts come to our games and stuff like that. And I wanted to talk about the game that I knew and the players that I love and the coaches that I've been around and respected and stuff like that. So, you know, that was the dream. So when 
college football kind of came into the picture. I didn't envision that for myself. And it's grown almost every year. You know, the role's continuing to change and adjust. And with that, my I feel like my dreams do a little bit too. But it's just so funny where it starts at or how you never know, honestly, what God has planned for you. Like you have this very small picture of what your life could or should be. And there's just a bigger plan for you. And that's, that's really how I view my whole career. Like couldn't have imagined any of it. Would have been totally happy in 2011 or whatever with the great slate of games that I had and just being able to be a part of the women's tournament. That was the goal, you know, being a part of the women's basketball selection show in Charlotte when Eula China, we were all yeah. together, best moments, all of us were together and just talking about the game. That was the goal. Um, so I just, I remember that time and I'm so thankful for that time because that makes everything that's been added onto my plate that much more of a blessing. Wow. Well, I know you had modest expectations. It sounds like starting out in terms of what you wanted to do, but I definitely understand wanting to impact where you are, right? You played volleyball, you played basketball. And for those of us in those spaces, we're like, okay, we want to bring more attention to the sports that we're covering. But let me just be the first to say that I knew a long time ago that you were going to be like big time. Okay. Like I saw you on, what is it? The show, LeBron James show. I see you on Good Morning America every once in a while. You know, you're on Get Up, which I'll tell you, you on Get Up is, is amazing. Like, That's fun. I do enjoy that. Right, Tariqa? I mean, your thoughts and how you feel about certain topics and our, our opportunities to hear from you as not just a brilliant woman but a brilliant woman of color in that space and the, how you rep us has mm-hmm. just that that has been tremendous so anyway i knew you were going to go a long way um Tariq, i'm gonna let you jump in in a minute but i do have to ask mm-hmm. why why and this is going to sound crazy to all our women's basketball fans that listen to this podcast but we we all understand what it really is right so when you do football when you do basketball there's potential for more money there's potential for more mm-hmm. exposure and mm-hmm. so but you still stay involved in women's basketball you're still hosting you're still um growing the game helping to grow the game what went into that decision to still do this part of it you know, China, I think the biggest thing is like women's basketball and women's athletics in general made me the broadcaster and the person that I am. Like, if not for that, I don't get the college. I don't get college game day or the opportunities to be on get up because my personality would be completely different. So not only do I love it, like I honestly, it's my favorite time of the year. People like laugh at me when I say that, but I'm like, no, I'm serious. This is my favorite part of the year to sit down and like being able to talk about these are the teams that are headed to the tournament and be a part of that whole process and see all of these crazy great games that we had, you know, in the first, second round and the teams that have made it to the final four. Like, I just want to be there when players win championships. And it means even more to me when it's female athletes winning championships. And, and I don't ever want to turn my back on the game. Like I want to always have part of that with me. And, and you've seen it too. Like I used to be able to do a ton of volleyball and I did the volleyball championships. I did eventually have to give that up because of football, but this tournament is something that I don't want to ever give up. Like if it's in my complete control, I'm not giving up this role because I love it. And I do recognize that as I rise, um, that just the product in general, if I continue to stay on it, it just lets everyone know, like, that's how important this is. Like, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter what else I do. Like I'm stopping everything for this. And I even tell, you know, producers that get up, Hey, you know, it's women's basketball tournament time. Like I really, I cannot be on the show cause I need to be focused in this time of year on these teams and these games and give it my full attention. Cause that's how important it is right now. You also bring the women's game with you. I've seen you do it 
on your package with Jay Billis and those guys. I remember you were at yes. Syracuse. You were pushing Big Monday. So you you bring the game with you to higher platforms, and that's important, too. We're actually all on the same wavelength right now because I love when I get to see Maria doing the, the, the baseline walk with Jay Billis. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it's Maria. But, um, you, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the product on the floor, though, because you've seen we've all seen women's basketball evolve so much over the over the last few years over the last two years I can say to me the the game of women's basketball has changed so much and like what do you especially looking at the teams who are in the tournament right now what can you specifically you know point out as to as to what's making the game so great and so different and how it's changing over the last couple of years I think people always point to or they at least want to point to parity, like this idea that every time teams take the court, you know that there could be a potential upset. So the same way that, you know, if you watch Duke men's basketball play Michigan State, like, yeah, that that Michigan State's now in the final four because there was a chance that they could be the better team on that day. And so I think there were times when we always knew even if um, you know, Connecticut showed up and played their worst game. They were still gonna, they were still gonna steamroll, and that is no longer the case. That's what makes it so much fun. Like I enjoy it, even for the players, like fighting and battling through it. And um, I think too, just like the way that the games have ended. You know, we had there was nothing will ever top our Final Four from a season ago. Like I just can't even see it happening. I hope it does, but I can't see it happening. And people are really tuned in and enjoying it. The way that we see Oregon playing basketball, I think um, Rebecca Lobo described it as the Golden State Warriors. I mean, yeah, because they're knocking down threes at a 40% clip and one through four can shoot the three. Like, they're changing the game of women's basketball. And maybe there'll be more teams that are like, yeah, that's how we win championships and that's what we're going to do. We've got everything from these amazing bigs and Megan Gustafson that can make every single shot, hook shot, turn left, turn right, you know, shoot the jumper at the top of the key. Um, just very well-rounded, good basketball. And I think we saw that reflected this season, particularly from first round all the way through, you know, like it never seemed like there was a drop off. Maria, I know that you're in Tampa right now, which will be exciting for our fans just to hear that people are already moving in that direction. So mm-hmm. you start your work early and you guys do a ton of things. Like we see what you're doing in studio, but you're required to do all kinds of stuff. Sports center hits and, you know, just all kinds of things to promote the game while you're there. Just give us some insight into what this week is really like. And then when that's happening, when Arike Agumbawale is hitting that shot, like what is it like as you guys are watching that and you're getting ready to come back on and you've got all that energy? Just give us some, just give us some of the insight of what happens this week and, and with your studio during the Final Four. Sure. I mean, first of all, during that shot, we were just like, we went nuts. I was like, I wish we had a spy cam up here because you, you saw how Rebecca and Kara yes. and Adam responded. It was the same thing, except we're like jumping around because we have so much space, you know what I mean, to move. Yes. And we got to do that two nights in a row. And then, yes, they're immediately like, get on set, get on set, you know, because we're thinking, oh, overtime, something, whatever. Nope. Turn around, turn the lights on. Everyone hops on set. Now we're in post-game show mode and everyone gets their thoughts together. So it happens really, really quick um, in live TV. But I'll say inside the studio, I mean, the week one, we're there from 11 a.m. when that first game tips off until the last game tips at 11 p.m., you know, on the West Coast. And we are, I don't think people know, but we're doing halftimes for every single game. So week one or round one, the very first day we were in there, we did 16 different halftimes because one region, one state might be watching a different game than another state. And we have to make sure that all of them have a halftime or whatever. Um, And then a lot of times, you know, you're getting a regionalized game out to a certain area in the state. So you're just literally glued to your seat, which is great. I mean, ESPN takes care of us. They're bringing food to us. I don't know if you see our Instagram stories. We're like eating Rice Krispie treats (laughs) and hanging out with Diet Mountain Dew that Coach has and 
roll. I'm foam rolling because you know you're getting tight sitting there. (laughs) And um, so, and a lot of the research too. We have great researchers, but when we first walk into the tournament, we have this huge binder. So I'm talking three ring binder that I've actually uh, now that I'm here in Tampa, I carried it with me. Like it didn't even fit in my book bag. It's so big. It's like four inches or whatever. And it has all of like the graphics that we've used. It's got pronunciation guides from every single team all of their um, team overall stats and stuff like that. And then I just keep it because I want to keep all of the (laughs) binders from the tournaments that I work. You know, I want to be able to look back at it. Um, And we have note cards with all the notes on it. So it's just constantly being inundated with information and trying to decide what are the best nuggets or facts to create a context for the game to take place in. And then when halftime comes, let's create a context for what we're seeing in front of us and how that's different from historically speaking for this team or historically speaking in this matchup or blah, 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 blah. You know, those are the things that we're looking at. You guys, I mean, not only are you great with your information and your next level nuggets and everything you guys do with studio, but you also have fun. Like the dynamic between you and Rebecca, your updates, and obviously you played for Coach Landers. So every time you go to him as coach and he sounds like that old wise man or, you know, (laughs) Nell's there, Debbie fills in. You guys just have so much fun and and it makes it fun for the viewer, um, you know, to watch that. So, Maria, I have to ask you before we let you go. Um, Tarika's giving me the last question call. Um, <laughs> she's over here texting me because she knows I will talk. I can together, talk to you, right? right? I can talk to you all day. Uh, what are you most intrigued to see in the teams that are in this final four? So we've got Connecticut, that two seed with a chip on their shoulder. Notre Dame mm-hmm. with the high expectations. Baylor finally getting there in Kalani's uh, senior season, but as a mm-hmm. program, hadn't been there in the wild. And Air Oregon at their first. What is maybe mm-hmm. the number one question at the top of your mind going into this weekend? I think it's going to be um, because basically what you just described is there's two experienced programs and uh, teams filled with players that have experience in the final four, right? Because Notre Dame, they're going to their second straight and they've got you know these players that have career 10,000 points. We keep talking about it for um, that starting five. And then Connecticut, who's obviously been their players have been to every single final four, haven't always left it the way that they want to. And then on the flip side of that, you have Baylor. Kalani's never made it. That's her first time making it. She's her senior. Oregon, none of their players have ever been in this situation. So how will the experience play into it at all? Does that Will the same nerves happen for all four teams? Um, and then I'm also just intrigued by the different styles because Oregon is going to play this, you know, we're, gonna, we're shooting the threes, like we said, we want to just put them up at a high rate and we're going to knock down a high percentage of them. Baylor wants to pound the ball inside. You know what I mean? Like we're going to have these great contrasting different looking teams. Notre Dame wants to run the floor all the time, you know, and UConn is a little bit of a mix because they got a great post player, but they can also shoot the three. So we've got like very distinct teams in the way that they play ball. And um, so it'll be interesting to see who can impose their will, but I'm certainly excited to see those players who have never been in the situation, like just get that opportunity. Cause I just think that's so cool for everyone that's involved in that. And so few people really get to ever make it to that level. Well, we know top to bottom, you guys have us covered. Coverage starting on Friday, championship game on Sunday. Maria, the wonderful, fabulous Taylor. Thank you so much for your time. And, girl, I can't wait to see you down in Tampa. Can we, can I we, know. My, look, my shoulders don't look as good as yours, but can I wear my shoulders out? <laughs> wear your shoulders out, girl. We'll do a little shoulder shimmy boomerang for the world. We'll just yes, get that together we, we will get that together. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon. And thank you so much for all of your coverage and all of your work on women's basketball and just for being amazing. We love you. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate right. it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
All right, LaChina. So what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to Tampa? The first thing I'm going to do when I get to Tampa is take my jacket off. <laughs> I want to feel the heat. I love being hot. I want to sweat. I love the sun. I'll be taking my jacket off and unthawing when I get to Tampa. It has not been as warm as I would like it to be in Atlanta right now. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. What about you, Tarika? Um, well... Weather isn't a big deal for me, considering that I'm, I live in the brick city up here of Bristol, Connecticut. So for me, I think the first thing that I want to do is just soak in all of the marketing and advertisements that I'm going to see that's going to say Women's Final Four. I'm going to be so excited, taking pictures, everything. My, make sure y'all follow my social media because my social media is going to be lit. Okay, where did, okay, what you gonna have on this social media? You oh, didn't everything. tell me about this. You know, I got the boomerangs ready. Um, I'm gonna have my filters popping. My Snapchat may be popping. I'm ready. I just want to make like I just need everyone to know how exciting this time is gonna be, and I think my social is gonna depict that. Oh my goodness! Yes, I am ready for this, and um, yeah. So me and Tariq will be hanging out. And don't forget that the semifinal games are Friday at 7 o'clock on ESPN2 and 9 o'clock on ESPN2. Oregon versus Baylor is the first game. UConn versus Notre Dame is the second game. Um, and then Sunday will be the championship. So we just want to say a quick thank you because this is our last podcast of college basketball season. We are going to try to do one for the WNBA draft, which if you did not know, the WNBA draft is Wednesday, April 10th. At 7 p.m. on ESPN2, we need all of our college fans to continue to support women's basketball. So tune into the draft. It's going to be in New York. We're going to have fun. But um, we want to say thank you to everyone. There, We don't do this alone. Um, there's a team of us that have, that have helped throughout the college season. You've heard from Kyrie, who stepped in as producer. I am actually at 680 The Fan in Atlanta where I do my recordings in studio. Thank you for to that crew for opening up their doors for me to have an actual studio. Nat have to record in my room, but all of our, excuse me, my closet. Your let's, closet. let's get specific. <laughs> Not just in my room, in the closet in my room. Um, but Tarika, you are amazing. You are the person that makes this podcast work. I could not do it with anyone else because somebody else would have just gotten rid of me and, and all my crazy antics and asks and whatever else. But you are really the person that makes this podcast great. So I want to say thank you to you. And also Selena, who does our graphics, is an amazing talent. And if you get to go by any of her sessions in Tampa, please do, because she is the future of branding. She's the mastermind. Who else, Tarika? Who else we need to thank? Um, well, we definitely have to thank ESPNW for continuing to allow us yes. to have a platform. Everyone there works with us, and they're totally amazing. Um, so we definitely want to give a, a shout out to them. Um, absolutely have to thank the fans that continue to tweet at us, that continue to send us emails of things they like to see and they like to hear on the podcast, ideas, suggestions. There are even fans who are like, listen, I did not like how you guys said blah, 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 blah. And I hope next time you guys don't say that. So we get criticism too, but that's love. That means they're listening and they appreciate the value of what we're trying to bring and what we're trying to bring to the game. And we appreciate it. And we have to thank you, LaChina, because you're believe you give me all this credit but honestly it's really you girl like you are so awesome you've been doing this and you've been steadfast and you've been persistent with it and it's because of your drive and because of your love for this that so many people have really opened up to embrace what we're trying to offer and so we thank you and appreciate you and we're just excited y'all make sure y'all come see us on saturday oh you so sweet girl (laughs) 
Seriously, though, y'all better come see us on Saturday. We want to see your face in the place. Thank you for tuning in, and we love you. Have fun to Final Four. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.